This show is brought to you by Brain First Training Institute, ICF accredited coach certifications and applied neuroscience training. To become a brain-based coach, get certified in applied neuroscience and stay up to date with what's happening in the world of applied neuroscience and coaching, join our Brain First community over at brainfirsttraininginstitute.com. Hey, it's Ramon and welcome to Brain Coach Radio, where we hear from expert coaches, leaders and trainers who are using applied neuroscience to help their clients get life-changing results. We discuss various coaching topics, neuroscience insights, business tips and much more, all to help you succeed. Now, let's get into the episode. No interruptions. Enjoy, my friends. So, Jeannie, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Hi, Ramon. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm just great. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. So I think I'd like to start off with uh, what your journey into coaching looked like. So I, um, I was working as a vice president for a medium-sized organization in Washington, D.C. at the time and um, got lucky enough to take a leadership assessment tool. So this psychometric assessment that... Um, went beyond some of the basic personality factors. We, a lot of people will use Myers-Briggs or DISC or some of the traditional personality um, assessments to assess leadership style. And this particular assessment went way deeper than that. It started looking at cognitive attributes and emotional affects and things like ideational <laughs> fluency and conceptual complexity and all of these um, deeper, what I would call brain-based attributes and specifically how they related to effective leadership at higher levels in an organization. So a bunch of really smart people had taken leadership theory and married it with neuroscience and some social science and some psychology and said, let's look at um, what is it about people's brains, about how people use their brains, about what their patterns and habits are and what their skills are, and how do those match up with um, the types of thinking skills and um, interpersonal skills that are required to be effective at higher levels in organizations? And I found the marriage of the science of leadership theory and brain theory so fascinating that I just said, wow, this is my new passion. Like, I want to learn so much more about this. And the more I learned, um, I began doing feedback um, sessions for other people that took this particular assessment tool. And that was when I realized, wow, this is really fun. This idea of coaching other people to understand more about their brains, more about their personal attributes, and then how can they develop certain um, preferences and skills to be more effective um, as leaders, as organizational leaders. And so I decided to stop being an organizational leader myself. And I started my own company just as me um, doing uh, executive coaching and um, training as well. And all of my coaching and training has that kind of foundation of the basic understanding of our brains. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when, when was that? And after you first took that assessment and then got into the world of coaching, what has changed since then in the way that you are approaching uh, leadership? In the way that I'm approaching leadership or leadership coaching? Leadership coaching. Okay, sorry, I wanted to clarify because otherwise yep. I might have answered the question differently. Um, so I guess I started learning about all of this stuff back in two, probably 2007, um, started coaching in 2009. Um, I had two years of really intensive um, guided study by the person that um, uh, developed this whole tool on all of the stuff in the background, like adult development theory and all this really cool stuff. Um, so as I learned more, and since then, now 12 years later, 14 years later, as it were, 
I've continued to learn new skills based on um, new science that comes out, as well as additional training that I've taken. For example, the training that I took with you um, brought to light a whole new aspect of neuroscience that I was missing. Meaning when I first started coaching, I'm very attracted to the theoretical side of it and kind of what I call the brain 101 side and understanding basics about how we think and how we can recognize and manage emotions for different um, self-directed behaviors, if you will. What I wasn't coaching on at that time was um, the idea of, of, of physical health. So good sleep, diet, exercise, Um, and different types of focus time for the brain. And that was something that I actually learned from you and realized, wow, you know, I'm really focusing a lot on this cognitive part of the brain from the perspective of self-awareness, but not so much the physical biology of how do we make sure that we have a healthy brain so that we can actually be more self-aware and then have um, better self-management skills to, to actually follow through with some of the changes and behaviors that we were trying to get with my original coaching style. Mm. And so now I feel like, wow, I feel like there's still something else out there that I haven't learned. You know, every five years or so, um, you learn something new, something uh, additional comes into your purview that you weren't aware of before. And you can add that um, as a new skill or a new aspect of coaching that we deliver to clients. Mm-hmm. So and I think this is one of the things that I'm quite um, fascinated by and continually surprised by when particularly a lot of coaches, they get into the neuroscience stuff and they often come in for the, the cognitive uh, approaches, the top-down stuff, the uh, problem-solving, the decision-making, and then walk away with, oh, wow, but if we go right down to the, the physiology and what's going on in the body and all the contributing factors that really underpin and support those processes and we can affect on these different levels of change now, because we're still operating with you know, the human being. It's one, one organism, right? It's, a, it's a mm-hmm. one nervous system. Um, but now we have all these different tools and ways in. So when you're uh, working with clients, do you have a sort of standard approach where you might start with uh, where they're at and then move into um, the area that they're wanting to focus on? Or do you take a holistic approach and assess on all of these different levels from sleep right through to how they're making decisions or or how how do you, how do you work in this regard? So kind of a combination of the two in the sense that I end up with a holistic approach. So I end up covering all of the basis in one way or another, um, but I don't have a structured process with which, uh, with how I get there. And so I do start from wherever my clients are. And it's fascinating to me how some clients will come to me and for the first 45 minutes, they'll tell me everything about, you know, how their brain works, about things that they've already trained in, what they know about themselves, what they know they don't know about themselves, what they know about others. And they're very, very self-aware and very descriptive. Um, And they may even have had a background in some of the basics of of, of neuroscience. They might know some of the the tools and things that, that I would be literally introducing for the first time to other clients. And so depending on where they are in terms of what their goals are, um, how self-aware they are, and um, whether they have the skill of reflection, uh, because that's the other skill that I find that really changes a coaching dynamic is whether the person has already developed or learned that skill of reflection, of being able to stop and say, how am I thinking and feeling both emotionally and physically about whatever topic we're talking about? And the ability to do that makes a huge difference in where we go with our um 
you know, with the coaching questions and the types of skills and where we end up. So how I get to the holistic um, stage varies based on where the client is when they first come to me. Mm-hmm. How do you manage uh, the, because of course, when we're going into things like sleep, nutrition, exercise, or even social connection, uh, focus time, downtime, all of these uh, brain healthy habits, sometimes there can be some uh, advising, some consulting, some information, uh, um, some education, these sorts of things. How do you manage the process within this, within this, under this umbrella of leadership coaching? How do you manage the coaching process and then the actual maybe information giving, advice, consulting component of it? Balance yeah. those two. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and part of it depends on what my client wants and needs. So the topics that we're talking about. Um, sometimes will lend themselves to more of a real pure coaching approach where some of my advising and and um, bringing in information to them doesn't necessarily happen. Um, most of my clients, though, I do find that a hybrid approach really works well. And so I market my coaching approach as a hybrid, meaning I, I stick to that, that traditional question-based, discovery-based um, uh, approach of coaching where we're trying to facilitate someone's thinking and when it's appropriate and when, and when I see an opportunity that I can help my clients with um, research-based knowledge, if you will, then I'll share some of that advice or knowledge, um, sometimes through articles, sometimes through sharing an idea, always then asking them, what does this mean for you? So we've talked about this information. How would you take this, this um, information, technical knowledge, if you will, and how do you want to apply it now to your context so that it can be most effective for you? Mm-hmm. I love it. But, um, you know, what is it? And they put, always putting it back uh, in their court. What does this mean for you? What, you know, what are you going to do with this? Uh, do you make it explicit when you are shifting from the coaching process into the advising, consultant, whatever we want to call it, information giving, or it's, it's very clear that that's what you are doing to the client anyway? I think it's pretty clear, actually. I mean, I don't explicitly say it. Um, I never, I try to never use the word advice because, (laughs) um, I always want to present information or an idea. Sometimes I will say, well, I have a thought I'd like to share. Would that be okay? Or here's a suggestion from something that I read, but it's, I, I immediately turn it into, what do you think? Um, because I think it's so important that as coaches, we're not only trying to help people um, make good decisions, if you will, or, or make choices that will lead them towards whatever their goals are. One of my personal goals is to also help my clients think um, for themselves, meaning to yeah, develop yeah. those skills of really being aware of how are they thinking about something and how are they making meaning out of the information they're receiving? And then how do they continually make those self-directed choices um, for themselves versus taking the advice of a coach? But I don't know how explicit it is. I think it probably is, um, but I've, I've never thought about whether I put up the yellow flag saying, hey, I'm about to give you information versus asking a, a coaching question. Mm. I think some coaches do, and maybe that's in a situation where it's not so clear when they're moving mm-hmm. from one to the other. But I think if, um, and I always, probably a bit like you, my approach is a bit more hybrid. In fact, these days it's probably um a little more training and then when I need to I'll slip into the coaching process and I know some people they do a bit of a hybrid and other people they are mostly the coaching process and occasionally slip into providing some information uh, handouts these sorts of things um but that idea of staying away from giving advice 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's a potential threat response, right? I mean, how many times when, when, when we even have a friend saying, oh, let me tell you what, basically, let me tell you what you should do. <laughs> oh, hang on a sec. You can almost feel it sometimes coming up inside you going, oh, someone else telling me like what they think I should do. Um, particularly if it's not something, you know, advice that might align with uh, how we see the situation. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had a situation where you've presented uh, information where someone hasn't received it well? And, and if that's the case, how do you then, um, I guess, soften it to make it more um, easily received? Yeah. So I have, um, and I'm just thinking of two or three recent examples, actually, where um, working with clients on not in the very beginning of a relationship. So I built trust over several months and um, decided that I, for their benefit, if you will, I wanted to help them by um, providing some insights. Now, these two clients in particular that I'm thinking of, I'm also working within a team. So it's not just me and that individual. I also am doing some team building. So there's information that comes to me. Um, from other members that they're working with. So it's not just a one-on-one situation. And sharing some feedback that um, you know is going to be a little tough. Mm -hmm. And um, oftentimes what I found, and in these two recent situations, um, I hung up the phone from the coaching call and I thought, oh, I pushed too hard. It was a little too, I was too forward with sharing um, the thought that I had or the feedback or observation that I had. And fortunately, I got lucky in that in both situations, they came back and said, wow, that hurt a little to hear, but I really needed it. And so it was, thank you for being um, so honest with me. Now, how I try to soften it is I truly believe that all of us have strengths and all of us have challenges. And I believe that all of our strengths can sometimes lead us to a place where our greatest strengths become our greatest weaknesses because we've overused them. And so when sharing feedback like that with someone or trying to help them to see something that maybe is a blind spot for them, I can always see where that blind spot is coming from some positive quality. It's coming from a strength. It's generally an overuse of a strength that's causing the blind spot. And so that's where when I present it, I'll note that and I'll present it through the lens of that positive quality that somehow has kind of gotten a little, a little out of whack. And I find that that's not only true, but that it helps people um, accept sometimes those harder messages because they're coming from a, a positive place within them, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. What, um, what are some of your favorite uh, science, maybe even neuroscience-based leadership coaching approaches, techniques, tools? What, what are some of the things that you've found have made a real impact for your clients that they walk away and go, wow, like that's kind of needle moving it's game changing stuff yeah you know for some reason my brain just jumped to a segment that i do in both training and oftentimes with coaching that i call brain 101 and just this this very simplifying some basic functions of the brain into just a couple of bullets Um, and it ends up with a formula that i call the secret to life Kind of jokingly, but kind of seriously as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I'll jump to the, the end first. The secret to life to me is the, the formula, thoughts plus emotions equals behaviors. And so this idea that what we're thinking and what we're feeling um, will drive our behaviors. And we can play around with that formula a little bit in terms of what we're doing and what we're thinking will oftentimes also create how we're feeling about something. 
And so by simplifying that to a basic kind of formula, I found a lot of my clients would find themselves um, in a situation where maybe it, they perceived it to be a threat situation. Um, they started to um, have a stress response, if you will, that may have led them down a path of a less than effective uh, behavior or, or action. Um, rather, they'll stop and they'll say, okay, how am I feeling about this? Let me think of Jeannie's formula again. How am I feeling right now? And what am I thinking? And what do I want to think and feel so that I can pause for a moment and then choose what my behavioral action is going to be? And so I found that simplification to be something that was um, has been really helpful for a lot of my clients because they hadn't ever really thought about their actions in that same way, meaning they react to things, they think things, and they react to things more instinctively without necessarily that taking that time to stop and pause. And it's helped a lot of my clients with the recognition that just because I feel one way right now, or just because I'm thinking one way right now, doesn't mean that it has to stay that way. I have the power. I always have the power to stop and pause and think about how I'm thinking and choose to reframe something or choose to look at it from a different perspective. And that often will lead to a different emotion as well. And then a more self-directed behavior. Mm, love it. Is, is the approach, whether it's this or the other, uh, you know, some of the other approaches that you might take with working with clients one-on-one, how is it different when you're working with someone just one-on-one versus working with someone one-on-one, but also in the context of the, you know, the organization, or you're also working with the team members, or there's, uh, you know, maybe um, other people involved in not just how that person that you are coaching is interacting with them, but maybe there's some accountability there, or maybe there's some expectations around that, that individual. So like the one-on-one versus the one-on-one in a team or, a, or an organizational environment. Yeah. So the one-on-one in some ways that so I have no idea why my brain went to this place, but the first thing I thought of was that it's much harder on the confidentiality side, meaning it, it's harder to coach sometimes in one-on-one, or, I'm sorry, an individual that you also are experiencing in a group because I have to make sure I'm constantly segmenting information around confidentiality. So confidentiality to me is just the, the basis. It's, the, it's the, the core premise of everything that we do in coaching. And when I'm coaching someone one-on-one, I don't have to worry about telling somebody secrets or asking a question about something that I learned from a different source because there are no other sources, right? It's just you and that person. Um, when you're coaching in a team, I have to have a much more heightened awareness of sensitivity around that, that I, I may learn information from other sources um, that, that's not necessarily appropriate for me to bring into the coaching relationship with that other individual. On the other hand, though, um, when you're only coaching one-on-one, you're only hearing it from their perspective. Um, if I don't have the opportunity to ever see them in the workplace or see them interacting with someone, um, I'm only hearing from their perspective um, how they're operating, how they're communicating, um, you know, how they're uh, leading, if you will, since we're talking about, in my, in my instance, they're mostly organizational leaders that I coach. So when I coach within a team, I'm able to do exercises and I'm able to do group events where I'm seeing them in action with other people. And I'm also getting feedback um, that we choose to do openly. So we often will do surveys and we'll do ways of exchanging feedback between individuals in the team so that we can help really speed up that process of awareness um, to make it more effective for for all of the individuals. So I love doing both. I like getting to do a mix uh, on both sides. Mm -hmm. When you're coaching 
the teams, what are some of the things that you've found uh, to be really effective, some evidence-based um, tools or strategies with teams in terms of learning about uh, how their brain works, when they're interacting with others, when they're working in a team, these sorts of things? Yeah. Well, there are a couple of different assessment tools um, that I use. One of them in particular is called the Herman Brain Dominance Instrument. And I just love it because it's a, it's a simplistic model. It's not overly complex. Um, it talks about thinking styles and gives people a, a picture of it, if you will, um, that the whole team can see. And so it kind of, some of the different assessments like those um, give people a, a, a common groundwork, a common base, if you will, from which to look at each other in terms of how they communicate, how they respond to stress, how they process change, um, how they go about making decisions and innovation, all those key things that um, become core functions of a group. So certain assessments like the HBDI are ones that I like to use. Um, I find just getting people together and doing some of those basic icebreakers and learning about them um, mm. to be another really insightful exercise. One of my favorite ones is just to ask people um, to share where they grew up, how many siblings they have, and then something that was uh, a pivotal event in their childhood and or something that um, they were known for as a child, maybe some characteristic or a hobby or a skill that they had when they were little. And those types of sharing um, of really who people are at their core mm. um, opens up so much of understanding and connections with each other that not only builds trust, but it builds a greater understanding of why people are the way they are today. What are, what are some of the things that leadership coaches need to be mindful of when using assessments, knowing that they are going into uh, a coaching environment? They are going to be coaching. You know, I think the number one thing to be mindful of is that no assessment is 100% accurate, meaning we're not taking DNA, right? We're literally, they're self-answered questions. And so people are going through a psychometric assessment and, and they're validated and they're deemed to be reliable, but they're still not the end-all be-all of who an individual is. We are way more complex than certain, you know, thinking styles or personality assessments can, can gather. And so I think going into it, um, we have to be very aware that those assessments can have limitations. They can give us clues and ideas about people, but it really is up to the individual to also validate uh, whether or not they feel that the results that came out really is true for them. And then recognize that there's limitations and, and what you can do with that data as well. Um, I'm always concerned about not um, having anybody feel that they've been labeled or they're put in a box or just because everyone comes out on an assessment with a similar score, that means that they are like individuals. Um, they may have some similarities, but uh, who we are is so much more complex based on everything that we've ever experienced, our genetics, our history. It goes way beyond what an assessment tool can bring out. Mm -hmm. When um, and, and this is for our listeners who are perhaps thinking about getting into leadership coaching, given you know all your experience, all the tools that you've used, all the people that you've worked with over the years, someone's coming into leadership coaching, where, based on all of that for you, where would you suggest people start? I'm, I'm an individual, I'm, I'm a coach, I'm thinking about getting into leadership coaching, there's something that's grabbed me uh, in that space, but I'm not, not sure where to start. Yeah. Gosh, I don't know about one single place to start, but the first thing Maybe that came few. to my mind <laughs> is the idea of, um, developing your own technical knowledge. So I feel like, um, 
certain types of coaching can lend themselves to very much a question approach. Life coaching in particular um, can be very question driven. And so the coach him or herself doesn't need to be an expert in the other person's life because they are an expert in their own life. But when you enter into something like leadership coaching, I found that particularly at the senior and executive levels, they expected me to actually have some knowledge and background and understanding of what makes an effective leader. So it wasn't enough to be able to just ask good open-ended questions. I needed to be able to understand the context that they were working in. And so having been in an executive leadership role myself um, helped with that, um, but that wasn't even enough uh, for me. I also needed to do a lot of study. I mean, I, I read a lot of research um, by the, the great minds of the world that published books and that have studied um, effective leadership and collected data on it so that I had um, somewhat of a research-based understanding or a technical knowledge that went beyond just my own personal experience as a leader, but was also grounded in something that seems to have worked um, on a broader scale. I mean, look, it, it makes sense as much as we can, uh, you know, we've got our coaching process and how coaching is being conceptualized, particularly by the International Coaching Federation. But if you're going to be a health coach, you probably want to know something about health. If you want to be a leadership yeah. coach, you probably want to know something about leadership. Like it just makes <laughs> sense, right? Um, yeah. what, um, what, what makes an effective leader? Oh, my gosh. What a great question. Um, so I think one thing that makes an effective leader is self-awareness and emotional intelligence. So we obviously need to be able to be aware of ourselves. We need to understand um, how we're thinking about what we're thinking about. And so that ability for metacognition, um, that I can really build my own cognitive ability, my brain's ability through training and through awareness. Um, I think it requires a really good balance between task and people. And whether we're naturally wired to one or the other doesn't matter. But on an everyday basis, I need to be aware of where is my focus right now? How much am I focused on tasks and results? Versus how much am I focusing on people and relationships and emotions and how can I find that right balance between the two? And then I think hey, depending on what industry you're in, of course, technical knowledge and then just building your ability um, to think in more complex ways. So eventually the higher leaders go in organizations, the more they need to be able to not only relate to people and inspire people, but they need to be able to look ahead and look strategically and set vision and envision and lead change for the organizations. So I think if you can get all of those qualities kind of mixed into one brain, it can come in a lot of different packages and a lot of different personality styles. But I think those are some of the core elements that create effectiveness at higher levels in particular, or at any level, really. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about all these different, I mean, we could, some of them are probably traits, characteristics, others are skills. So you've got this uh, puzzle, if you will, and all these different pieces and people are going to have strengths in some areas and perhaps weaknesses in others. What, what's your process or what are your thoughts behind this idea of um, leveraging only strengths and forgetting about weaknesses or no, we need to focus on some of the weaknesses or like what, what's the, what's the balance here? Yeah. I think your, your term balance is exactly the, the, the answer to it. It's not just about strengths. Um, I really appreciate a strengths-based approach, but here's the problem. Our greatest strengths become our greatest weaknesses when they're overused or they're not balanced with something on the other side. And so the more extreme of a preference I have in one strength, it likely is creating an imbalance in another quality. 
And we need to be able to balance all those out, like that task people idea. So I might be a fabulous relator and really good at connecting with people. But if I'm too close, if, I, if I'm too far on that people side of the scale, I may not be able to make hard decisions um, where some people may not be happy as a result of that decision, or it may be harder for me to deal with performance problems. And so I think that coming up with a balance of, yes, recognizing where are my strengths? How can I use my strengths to then balance out and or develop any critical weaknesses? So I feel like we have to be aware that we all have challenge areas in our, in our beings and our lives and ourselves and how we lead. Um, we want to take care of the ones that are really detrimental and figure out how can I, how can I figure those out? I either get somebody else to help me with them or I figure out how to develop this skill or how to put myself in positions where that skill isn't necessarily needed um, so that I can be effective. But to ignore the challenges in my mind um, or weaknesses, if you were, I feel like we wouldn't really be, um, what's the word I'm trying to think of? I feel like by building up, recognizing some of my weaknesses and choosing to build on some of them, I am more closely reaching my full potential than if I only thought about my strengths. Mm-hmm. How do you navigate this with clients where there is an imbalance? There needs to be some balance brought back to, let's say it's even the task versus people. There needs to be some balance brought to that. How do you navigate this process with clients who, you know, maybe they, I'm thinking of the, the classic, oh, um, I'm a really analytical person. You know, like I've never had an insight in my life or I'm a really insightful person. I go purely on, I do everything based on intuition and my analysis is, is terrible. Yet we know that, you know, that's just not going to be the case. How, how, do you, how do you navigate that with a client who might, as part of their identity, even, you know, they, they, the way they see themselves is I'm this type of person, but maybe they do need to bring more balance to the, the equation. Yeah. So I often try to help them through questions, figure out for themselves, if you will, because they are the ones that are living it. Um, identify where, what is the downside of this strength? So where I'm overusing the strength or I'm relying on this strength a lot, like the analytical skill, what is the downside? And they'll often see it. They'll say, oh, well, people say I'm aggressive or people say I'm too direct or some people really don't like me and they don't want to work with me anymore. So when I talk to them about it then is, well, what do you want to do with that? And how can we add something to your analytical strength? So I try to not um, present it as though we're changing someone, that I'm taking away your analytics or your, your strength of logic and rationality. Rather, how can we add to that this additional skill of sensitivity uh, and focus on relationships? And I find that that adding to idea um, often helps a lot of my clients get over the hump of feeling like we're trying to change them into a different leadership style. Rather, we're adding something to um, the really good style that they already have. Mm. Do you arrive at this place where you might identify an imbalance through the assessments? Is that the primary tool? Or is it they've raised the idea that there's an imbalance or a combination? Like how, how do you get to this point where you've you've identified, okay, there's something that needs to be worked on here in this way? Yeah. So in some cases, clients come to me and they've either had an assessment or they've had feedback um, or they've done some kind of a 360 or something that brought them to the notion. Maybe they realize that, that their relationships are not strong and so they decide they want to work on them. Um, so some people know for themselves uh, where that is. In other cases, um, I listen to my clients. You, know, you ask them really good questions. That will, that's what we do as coaches. 
And as I listen, I, I listen for these things. I, I, I listen for things like balance and task and people and how much are they um, balancing, um, taking risks with um, analyzing uh, potential risks. So as I, as I ask questions and, and hear the experience of what their challenges are in the workplace, what are the opportunities, what are their goals, um, I'll often be able to hear for myself if there, if there seems to be an imbalance in their approach. If I don't, if I can't hear anything um, and they're still not sure, I often encourage them then to try to get feedback somehow, either talk to peers, talk to direct reports, talk to their supervisors. And we might choose to do some type of a, you know, a survey, a questionnaire that we ask people to give feedback for the person so that we can then figure out, you know, where are the areas that they could um, most effectively focus their development time on um, in order to balance out whatever might be out of balance at the time. Right, right. Love it. Uh, I'd like to um, get practical and give some of our listeners some things to take away, some, some things to think about, maybe some tools and maybe some areas where they can go and uh, investigate the literature or, or um, things that they can start putting into practice. So for the leadership coaches, uh, actually, let me, let me come back to that. If you had to... If you had to go back to the very beginning when you first got into this, would you do it any differently? Are there some things that you know now that you would have started off with that perhaps took you a few years to kind of figure out? It's a good question. And I don't, I don't know that I would. Okay. Um, and not to say that my path has been perfect by any means, but nothing jumps out at me immediately where I think, gosh, I wish I had done, you know, X, Y, or Z in a different way. Okay. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. I can't okay. answer that one. <laughs> so, so then top three things that, and maybe we'll just take these one at a time and, and dive into them. Um, approach, tool, strategy, something that you think is invaluable for leadership coaches. They're like, right, you know, these are the things that I probably need to focus more of my time on to develop myself in this area to become a really great leadership coach. What would what would be your top three? Hmm, it doesn't have to three. be three. It could be two or four. Yeah, whatever comes gotcha. to mind. <laughs> I think identifying where your expertise, um, where you how you want to focus your expertise. So determining what is that technical expertise of yours. What is your specialty or your angle, if you will. Um, that you really want to develop a, a deep knowledge in and add that to your coaching skill. So I guess the first thing is, is you need to have obviously a basic understanding of what coaching is and what the coaching approach is. Um, I, I describe it as facilitating thinking. And that, that really is what, what I think coaches do is facilitating um, someone else's brain, if you will, their own thinking, what's inside of them. So developing good coaching skills would be the first step. Um, second would be, I'm determining what your technical um, specialty will be and then read as much as you can constantly and continue to develop your knowledge and your skills and your understanding and the tools that you have um, related to that area. Um, for me, that area was neuroleadership. And so for anybody who's really interested in excelling in leadership coaching, I would encourage you to look at the Neuroleadership Institute and other institutes that take a brain-based approach if it's something that you're interested in and how you connect these ideas of brain-based um, knowledge with leadership outcomes. Hmm. Well, what's something that you've learned recently that you've implemented from the neuroscience of leadership? 
Oh, so you said recently. So now I'm thinking yeah. about what has yeah. been the most recent thing that I've read. Um, well, the last thing. Yeah, well, you know, so funny enough, it's what we started talking about earlier. And, and I'm not saying this just because you're the one that taught me. It just happened to be that the program that I did with you was the most recent training that I did. And it was this idea of really focusing on the seven habits of brain health. Um, I honestly did not. I don't think I ever asked a client. Maybe this is something I would do different now that go back to that question. If I was going to go back into coaching earlier, I would have um, taken a more holistic approach to coaching from the start because I didn't in the beginning. I was taking a much more uh, cognitive, let's look at how you're thinking about things approach. I wasn't looking at the whole being. And so I think that was probably um, an eye opener for me. Not that I didn't know that eating well and exercising well you know, would impact your brain, um, but recognizing the connection, what I, what I was not cognitively aware of when I started was how much sleep and diet and exercise and having a balance of, of brain time, social time, focus time, challenge time, um, downtime, how much that would impact how your brain makes meaning out of the things that you see on any given day. And I remember something as simple as you telling us, even being hungry can impact how you see a situation. Mm. And I thought, wow, that's so simplistic and it's so basic. Yet it was something that I was not consciously thinking about with my clients, nor was I talking about it with them. And so if I could do anything different, that I would go back and add that aspect of, of brain health into my coaching engagements. Mm -hmm. Very cool. How do you, this is something that um, I'm always speaking to people about, which is bridging the gap. How do you bridge the gap between a client who's coming in who wants to solve a problem and you know that, for example, if they just got a really good night's sleep, they'd, sell, so, they'd see the problem differently and perhaps the problem wouldn't even be there anymore, but maybe if it was still there, they'd just have a completely different perspective. And just using these as examples, how do you bridge the gap between something that they're coming in for and the things that you know are contributing to that that they're not even aware of yet? Yeah. Well, I will tell you, I, I just tell them. Straight out. <laughs> well, not straight out. I mean, I find the right place. I try to ask sleep. questions. I Drink try less. to get them to it. Um, but I'll eventually ask them, you know, tell me a little bit about your night habits and about your sleep habits. And then I'll explain to them why. I'll say, look, I give them the science, the information behind why I'm asking about their sleep. Um, if, I am, if I'm hearing something repetitively and I can't get them to connect the dots through my questions and I think, oh, if I was paying someone to help me and that person had knowledge that they were holding back and not sharing with me, I would be really upset. Yeah. It would be like a doctor not telling you, hey, I think maybe a couple of aspirin might help you. And so while I don't see myself as a doctor, please don't uh, <laughs> misunderstand my reference to medical uh, profession, but I, um, I share with them the thoughts and I'll say, you know, I want to share something with you that's kind of been in the back of my mind that keeps nipping at my, my thinking. Um, I'm wondering about your sleep. Or perhaps, you know, you might want to get a good night's sleep and let's talk about this. Let's see how you feel about it um, when we talk the next time. But I, yeah, I don't hold back now. I used to maybe a little bit because I was afraid that coaches were not supposed to give advice. Yeah. And I really, I try not to couch it in the terms of advice, but rather in terms of information. But I feel like if something is, seems like it's there for me and they're not yet getting it through my questions, I just didn't ask the right question. Sometimes I'll just share it and then I'll ask the question afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
And it's one of the, uh, also one of the, the principles in applied neuroscience that, that I've talked about many times, which is we don't need to know everything about how the brain works to start using what we know. And I think we can apply that to, to sleep and even nutrition and movement. Like we don't need to be nutritionists. Like, you know, how many people, we all know we should stop eating processed junk food. Like everyone knows that. We don't need to be a nutritionist to know that. But let's take a few steps beyond that and say, well, do I need to be a nutritionist to say, to, to make suggestions around eating habits and to even just maybe raise ideas and things that the client can then walk away with and say, yeah, maybe I do need to focus on this a little bit more. Or maybe they even go and see a specialist in that area. But yeah. if we, ha- as you say, if we have that knowledge, I, I love that idea that, that you just raised, which was putting yourself in the client's shoes. Like if I was the client and I went to see someone who in my eyes, like, I don't, I don't know how coaching has been defined. I don't know that they're using this process called coaching and then they're stepping into this other role called mentoring or, or, and the differences between these things. I just want help. And if I found out that the person that I'm going to for help was withholding information that could have helped me, then yeah, like you said, I'm going to be pretty annoyed. <laughs> so see, I think seeing it from that angle, like it just brings a greater level of awareness of, of, um, how we can approach this and bring other things to the, the coaching conversation that perhaps we hadn't thought of before. Yeah. But I do love your direct approach. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna bring it up. You need to sleep more. Stop drinking <laughs> so much booze at night. Lay you know lay off the caffeine a little bit. You know, <laughs> trust me, <laughs> feel a lot better. You'll make better quality decisions. The end. <laughs> <laughs> I try not to be too, too direct, but you know, sometimes it's just got to be said. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, any final thoughts for our listeners, anything that you'd like to leave them with? You know, I'll leave you with something that, that uh, was said to me when I was first starting out as a coach and they said, don't worry about um, selling yourself or marketing yourself. If you're trying to make a business out of coaching, um, just talk about what you're passionate about. And so share your passion and your knowledge with people and the people who appreciate you, who need you, who um, can really benefit from your services will come your way. Oh, I love that. And I'm so, so glad that you said that. Uh, I wasn't, I wasn't going to talk about the business side of things, but um, maybe, maybe this does need a little bit of a discussion actually, because I think this is so important for particularly new coaches and they're coming in and they're learning these you know, seven steps to get clients within the next 10 days and, you know, all of these different marketing hacks and you need to be doing this and you need to be saying things in this way. And, you know, here's a template for the perfect headline for that, for that, you know, Instagram video and all these sorts of things. I think there's so much confusion and, and, and so much information out there and coaches are just like, oh man, I want I wanted to get into this to help people. And now I'm spending like 80% of my time having to go and learn, you know, the equivalent of a friggin' marketing degree. Um, and now I'm just a content creating marketing machine just to get clients. So can, can you touch a little bit more on, on um, and maybe, maybe elaborate a little bit more on your ideas around this, this, this approach of like, um, you know, being passionate about it and speaking about things that you're passionate about and putting that out there. Cause I, I love this. 
Yeah. So my, um, I will admit I'm not a social media person. I don't have a social media presence other than a static uh, LinkedIn uh, page that's been the same for probably 14 years. Um, My business comes through referrals and personal connections. And so I would put myself in places. I'd go to conferences or to to networking events or training events or whatever, um, just places that I would come into contact with other people that might uh, benefit from my services and or be interested in my services. And I would just be there. I would be myself. I would be authentic um, and talk about what I'm passionate about. And people like to talk about their interests. And so I would ask other people what their interests are and we would find a connection and I would share mine. And through that process, it just grew. I, um, I have not had to market myself um, because for 12 years now, my business has been 100% referral based. And I love that. I love that I get to talk about and be passionate and energetic about my approach, about the things that interest me and the clients that I'm a good match for um, come to me um, through either personal referrals or through seeing me in an experience like today and say, wow, I really like the, I like the angle that she takes, or I like her passion around this particular topic. Yep. Yep. Guys, you don't need tens of thousands of followers on Instagram and Facebook and all these places. Would you say that the, the idea here is really, um, sharing what you're passionate about and relationship building. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Being good at what you do as well. Make sure you've honed your skill because referral based (laughs) businesses come from getting results for your clients. Yeah, absolutely. And I've talked about this on a previous couple of episodes, like you've got to be really good at what you do just because you call yourself a coach and you, you want to charge a certain price doesn't mean anything. Like you've actually got to get really good results for clients. Yep. Absolutely. Amy, thank you very much for being on the show. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It was nice seeing you again. Lovely to see you. That's it for this episode. If you want to support the show, make sure to subscribe, leave a five-star review, and then head over to brainfirsttraininginstitute.com to join our community of coaches. And for resources and products to help you upgrade your brain and life, including interviews with leading neuroscientists and health and high-performance experts, go to mybrainfirst.com. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you soon.